It is our time. It's time to rise up. I'm going to ask the kids to do that, as a matter of fact, and head out that way right now. Rise up. Go to your classes as you guys head to your classes. The rest of you who are here with us today, as they're heading out, I want to challenge you as well to rise up. To rise up in such a way to go, because we have been called on mission. I thought about the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, found in Mark chapter 10, that was crying out to Jesus, Jesus, just heal me, have mercy on me. And Jesus calls him to himself and says, beggar, what do you want me to do for you? You know what he said? I just want to see. I just want to see. So you know what Jesus did for him? He opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he left that cloak that defined him as a beggar and left it behind and started following after Jesus. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we talked about Mary Magdalene and she came to the tomb while it was still dark and her eyes were closed. But at the time, she saw what she thought was a gardener. And that gardener turned out to be Jesus. Her eyes were opened and she followed after Christ. In the same way, we talked last week, uh, Bob Monclova came up and he spoke and he brought us a message about the two guys, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as they were to Emmaus, a third visitor came in and joined them. They didn't recognize who it was until he opened their eyes. And it was Jesus. Today, we have the same prayer. and We have the same challenge in our lives about having our eyes opened. Having our eyes opened to what Christ is going to do in us and through us. Last week, their response was to follow after Christ. Their response was to respond with action. I'm praying today that we respond with action. I'm praying today that we respond with action because I feel like for the past year, and probably actually longer than that, but it's just been amplified in the last year, that the church, not just Paragon Church, but the church has been in maintenance mode. It's been in maintenance mode and just doing the, we just got to get through another Sunday mode. And I've never been okay with that. I've never been okay with just maintaining. I believe we need to pray that God opens our eyes to move from maintenance mode to mission mode because he has called us to be on mission with him and for him. So today I want to pray that our eyes are open to the truth of the gospel that our eyes are opened to the truth of the mission that we've been given, and then we respond with action. So let's pray that right now. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you again for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the opportunity to be able just to praise your name. But God, as we have too often gone into maintenance mode, I pray that you stir our hearts today to move to mission. We pray it all in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or digital devices with you today, I'd ask you to open up to John chapter 20. If you had a chance this week, if you get our emails regularly, you'll see in John chapter 20, we asked you to read starting in verse 19, and then reading all the way to the end of the book of John, which is John chapter 21, verses 25. The reason why I had you read that is because what we're going to talk about today is the foundation of what he's called us to in all the rest of that book. So John chapter 20, we're going to be reading just verses 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. So if you have those devices or your Bible open to that, would you follow along as I read it? It says, when it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus 
came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Our today picks up where we left off on Easter Sunday. We wrapped up with Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, and she'd gone back and told the disciples all that she had seen and all that she had heard. And so we pick it up here being Sunday evening. And in it, we see it's hours after that appearance to, to Mary Magdalene. And where do we find these disciples? They are huddled together, locked behind closed doors. And why were they there? Because they were afraid. Because they had a fear. And the fear was specific that the fear was of the Jews. And why were they afraid of the Jews? Well, they understood that the Jews, in their leadership, they had the power to take life. They had just witnessed it three days before. So they were afraid that they were next. They were afraid that the physical death could come to them. And that fear of physical death had paralyzed them from what Jesus had taught them over the last three years. My guess is that wasn't the only thing that was keeping them behind that door, though. They were probably trying to figure out that if they survive, what do we do next? If we survive, what do we do next? They were probably also trying to figure out how to live with the guilt of what has happened over the last couple of days. See, they probably do the same thing that you and I do, or at least I do. I'm just throwing you into the same category with me. We, we play that what-if game. Well, what if I would have done this? And the wouldas and the couldas and the shouldas. And you know that they were sitting around thinking about those things because all of the events that had taken place, what if they would have done something different? Could they have prevented it? These are the things going through their minds. You know, when something major happens, we always have those questions. And we know from what we talked about over the last couple of weeks and really what we talked about over the last 11 years, something major had happened on that Friday. So not only were they dealing with that major event, that their leader had been crucified, but I think they also have this inner struggle of letting Jesus down. This inner struggle of letting Jesus down, I mean, one of them in that room, he denied Jesus. Others had fled. They'd heard the news that Jesus was alive again, and as you'll see, even if you keep reading in this passage, there's some of them that had this weight of doubt of the what-ifs. As you're looking at it, all those things are starting to swirl around. And the crazy thing is, is we looked at the road to Emmaus last week, but we didn't look at the Gospel of Mark and how he recorded it. Do you realize that those two disciples, when they went back and said, we've met Jesus, do you know how they were responded to by those that they had told? Disbelief. Unbelief. No, it's not true. And then on top of that, I almost wondered if they might be afraid that Jesus was alive in the first place. Because if Jesus is alive, then guess what? He's going to come and talk to him, and what's he going to say? Because if I were Jesus, and I'd been let down by all of my followers, I can tell you what I would say to him. It's probably not something I could tell you on a Sunday morning, but it's something that would be a little bit more stern than what we see happens here on in this passage. I mean, he's going to have to stop and say, how many years of my life did I invest in you? How many hours of every day? And this is how you respond by huddling together in locked safety? Is that what you would do? And you know what? He'd be right, don't you think? 
He'd be right to come and say something like that. Jesus could rightfully come and he could have let him have it if he wanted to. But think about all the emotions that were swirling around behind that locked door. All the head games were being played behind that locked door. How many times do our emotions drive our thoughts? How many times do we let those emotions and feelings drive even not just our thoughts, but also our actions? We see it in this passage on full display. But all of us are like the disciples at times, aren't we? We've had enough information. We have enough experience with Jesus to know and understand the steps of faith that God wants us to take next. But our emotions block us. Our feelings block us. We decide our actions based on how we feel instead of what God has already revealed to us and already called us to. And he has these desires for our life that we choose not to follow after. See, God wants us to walk with him by faith. And that means we take one step at a time, following after him. We follow his promises regardless of our emotions. But the disciples aren't doing that. The disciples are huddled behind a door. Because when we say this is what we're supposed to do, I'll guarantee it's easier to say than it is to actually do. Because you go back to those what ifs. And in the middle of all of those what ifs, here's what we have. We have all the emotions bouncing around and we play off of each other. We communicate with each other and we get that echo chamber to say, this is what we should do. But honestly, here's the thing I was thinking about. If I was in that room, my biggest fear would not have been about physical death. So I die. That, that's kind of the, the, the mentality I, I've had. You know, when, when you go through certain things in life, death isn't the biggest thing you have to deal with. And I think that what it would be, my biggest fear is what if I unlocked that door, I opened it, and then I failed at the objective. God's called me to do something, and I go out there, and I try and do it, and I fall flat on my face. Can I just let you out a little secret of mine? One of my biggest fears, if not my biggest fear, is the fear of failure. I don't want to fail. I don't want to lose. I don't want to let other people down. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let God down. So when I look at that, I started kind of thinking, I mean, I remember getting married. And I remember staring at my bride-to-be as we were taking our vows and going, I am unqualified for what comes next. I have no idea what I'm stepping into. I now do premarital counseling for, counsel, or for couples I'm getting ready to, to uh, marry and I wish I would have paid more attention in the counseling that I give now to people. Because I just thought, it was, oh yeah, we're just getting married. It's, no big, it's a huge deal. Nobody, I think, is ready for it. I love when people go, oh, I'm just going to wait till we're ready. Kids, marriage, adoption, anything. Nobody's ever ready. But we're afraid of failing. I remember holding each one of my children when I, we first got them, whether it was by birth or by adoption, and going, I am not ready. I am completely unqualified to do this. I remember when we started this church going, I am most certainly the least qualified person to do a church plant. And if you go back and listen to our very first sermons, you'll go, yep, you're right, you were. God has done an amazing work in your life for 11 years. And the thing is, is that even as we sit there and go, oh, I just don't want to fail, God is there with us. See, the way that I see it a lot of times, and maybe you do the same thing, if you don't want to fail and you don't want to lose, it's better just not to play. 
So I'll just stay in my own little comfort zone and not worry about taking those steps that might cause me to fail. But the problem is, is then we sit in fear of, well, what are we going to do now? And, and that fear controls us. And even we know and we believe the truth that Jesus has laid out to us, we still act in unbelief. The great thing is, is both in this passage and both in our lives, God did not let them or us sit in that unbelief. He will challenge us and he will not allow us to remain stuck anywhere along the path of faith. As a matter of fact, in the midst of them hanging out in their holy huddle, you know what happens? Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And in the process of him showing up, he doesn't show up like I said before, like I probably would have. He doesn't go out and say anything to the negative. As a matter of fact, I'm sure if I would have been able to walk through a wall, first of all, that would have been pretty cool. But when I showed up, I would have said, hey guys, I got something I got to say to you. All right? No, he, does, he doesn't say that. You know what words he says? He doesn't come out with criticism. He doesn't come out with, with, with demeaning them in any way. You know what he says? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And if you grew up Catholic like I did, you respond right now with, and also with you. Yes, that's exactly right. But the, the thing is, is that's not what Jesus is doing here. Typically, it's just a Middle Eastern greeting that they still use to this day. But I know Jesus knew the heart, and I know that Jesus knew the men and the women that were sitting behind that door, and he knew where they were at. And he wanted to let them know that peace is with them. Not just peace, but God of peace is with them. And he's there in their presence. And why is that? Well, he starts off with this idea of peace because of what's about to come next. Peace is the foundation of what God's going to call us to do. It is the necessary peace with God that we have to have to do and establish the next steps. See, before Jesus says anything else to the disciples, he establishes peace. And the order here is really important. You know why I say that? Because peace that Jesus gives is foundational to any empowered actions that we might have, any purposeful deeds that we might have. His peace is foundational because a lot of times we try to initiate peace with God by our actions. But he's saying, no, it's his peace that drive our actions. And we have to hold on to that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul explains it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It says, For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of the commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross by which he put the hostility to death, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, the peace that Jesus offers the disciples is the peace to accomplish all the things that he has for us. And it was accomplished when he died on the cross. That's why it says in verse 20, having said this, he showed them his hands, and his side. He's saying, I'm the one who died. 
I'm the one that you abandoned. I'm the one who was pierced for your transgressions. And the reason I can offer you peace is because my blood covered your sins. That's how we have peace. If you trust in me, those sins will not be held against you and the wrath of God will be turned away. That's why Paul says it back in Ephesians that I just read. He might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed in the cross. Are you thankful for that? We should be extremely thankful for that because he's saying here in verse 20, look at my hands. Here, look at my side. I made peace with these wounds for you. And we need to have that peace in our lives because of it. That peace between us and God, that peace between us and Jesus, that peace between us and everyone else are established with these wounds. As a matter of fact, I count five relationships that when Jesus was crucified and risen again, that he brought peace into our lives with these relationships. The first one is this. It is peace between us and Jesus. Peace between us and Jesus. That's the first and foremost obvious thing is he's standing in the room of disciples here. He's standing there among them and he offers himself as a friend and a helper, not a judge. He's saying that's where I'm at. There's second, peace between us and his father, God. That's why God sent him, so that justice and wrath could be satisfied in another way besides our eternal. That's why he sent him. There's also peace between us and others who are in Christ. Peace between us and other fellow believers. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to all who are reconciled to God. Because we are one. We are family. We are connected. No hostility vertically, no hostility horizontally. Galatians 3.28 says, There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female since you are all one in Christ Jesus. All that other stuff's gone. And then fourth, peace between us and our own souls. Peace between us and our own souls. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says these words. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? What's the thing that causes you the greatest lack of peace? Isn't it a guilty conscience? Isn't it us thinking about what we did and how we did it and how others might, might respond and how others might do certain things? We let those things really weigh us down. But it says he wiped it clean. He wiped it clean. Even though there's going to be consequences for our past sin, it's not something that we have to live on and dwell on. The pain may not be taken away immediately, but the penalty is taken away through Jesus Christ. So we have peace with our own souls. Last thing I wrote down here was peace with our world. Peace with our world. See, when Jesus died and he did what needed to be done, he did it so that someday, in God's time, all evil will be cast into the outer darkness and an entire new creation will begin and there'll be full peace and full righteousness. I am so looking forward to that day. I don't know if you guys are. Peace with Jesus peace with God the Father, peace with others in Christ, peace with ourselves, and peace with this world. It's what Jesus brought. It is what Jesus brings. And it's foundational for what he calls us to do next. That peace is foundational. We're going to get to that here in just a second, but I have a question. 
that I want to ask you before I move on. I don't want to just pass over this. You might be having this question. How do you receive that peace? How do you receive that peace? See, everybody doesn't have it. Some people are working in all different sorts of ways to find inner peace or whatever thing they might want to do. But the reality is not everybody has it. It's a gift of God that is given to us that we must also receive. We can either receive the gift or we can walk away from the gift. Or we can either say we can receive Christ or walk away from Christ because he is our peace. If you have the risen, living Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have that peace that he gives and that peace that he is. John 1, verse 12 says, But to all who received him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. Do you believe in his name? Do you put your full trust in him? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have that peace. Jesus offers that peace. I offer that peace on his behalf. That is one of the things that we are called to do. So I hope that if you have not received it, that today is a day you will receive it. So this message started off with Mission Impossible. We talked about Blues Brothers, and you're like, you haven't talked yet about mission. You've only talked about peace. Again, peace is foundational to the mission that we've been called to. So I want to establish that foundation because if we don't have peace, we will take all his other gifts and we'll try and use them to create peace. And that's not the way it happens. That's not the way it works. Peace is first and it's free. Everything else is an effect of peace, not the cause. It's the fruit, not the root. Peace is the root. So we can get up and caught up in thinking the purpose for our life is peace. I mean, We'll see it in, in movies and TV shows and, and hear it in other religions that your goal is to reach this nirvana, this, this peace. But the reality is our purpose for our life is not to find peace, it's to live out of the peace that Jesus brings. Our purpose comes from it. Our purpose comes from the peace. So after Jesus says, peace be with you, he actually gives the disciples their next job. He gives the disciples their purpose. And even though in my mind, they hadn't passed the test, he gives it to them anyway. Because here's the reality. It's the opposite of everything that you probably expect. These people failed the test. They have let him down over the last three days and even weeks leading up to that. And then Jesus comes to them and he puts them in charge. It doesn't even make sense. It'd be like my son failing his driver's test and be like, here's the keys to my Ferrari. It, it didn't make sense. If my daughter came and said, well, I flunked out of business school, I'm like, well, here's the keys to the corporation. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Why? Why does he do that? Well, he's given us this responsibility to do what he has done during his ministry. And he has trained them up and allowed them to follow and allowed them to see. So he says this in John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now this connects to Jesus' prayer over the disciples back in John chapter 17 where he says these words, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And John's gospel does a great job of connecting the idea that Jesus was sent by the Father. John chapter 4 and John chapter 6 says he was sent to do the Father's will. John chapter 3 and John chapter 12 says he was sent to speak the Father's words and to perform the Father's works in John chapter 4 and John chapter 5. He was sent to bring salvation to the world in John chapter 3. 
In John chapter 18, he actually tells Pilate, for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. He's here to testify to the truth. In Mark chapter 19, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul gives us a little taste of what Jesus came for. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among who I am the foremost of all. This is the reason why he came. And this is what we are being called to do. Those same things. As, G- as God sent me, I am sending you. The jobs that I have are now your jobs. That's our mission. Not huddling behind a door. Not afraid of what people might say or what people might do. But to share Christ. Remember how Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of the Father and bring people under his lordship to do his will. And by sending us the same the way that he was sent, his purpose becomes our purpose. His mandate becomes our mandate. His mission to reveal the Father becomes our mission to reveal the Father. Matthew 5, 16. You've probably seen it, heard it, read it. What's it say about light? It says we need to be that light. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Reveal God to others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He's called us to build up his church one soul at a time. We are not in the salvation business, but he is using us to bring people to him. We are also commissioned to live in obedience to Christ and to teach others to do the same. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're going to talk deeper about that next week. His motivation becomes our motivation. Can I ask you a question? What motivated you to be here today? What motivated you to turn on online and watch today? What was it that motivated you to be a part of this? I'm almost going to just assume that it was the same thing that motivated Christ to step down out of heaven and walk on this earth. The first thing is obedience to the Father. Philippians chapter 2 says he became obedient to the cross. He became obedient even to the point of death. In that great commandment that we share so often, his motivation was love for the Father and love for others. It's our motivation for what we do. Love for the Father and love for others. His motivation was necessity. In John chapter 3, verse 14, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but he was talking to Nicodemus and he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There was no plan B. Do you realize that there's no plan B? He gave us the keys and he said, it's your car to drive. There's no plan B. He's telling us to do this job. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured there was joy. His motivation was joy to us. It's direct us to God. It is found in that. That motivation well. His motivation is our motivation. See, Paragon, like any other church, is a gathering of people. It's a gathering of people in person. It's a gathering of people online. But it's more than that as well. We are a gathering of people who have been sent out into the world. Sent out not just into the world, but our world to do what Jesus did. We've been called to enter the lives of people who live out there. 
We've been called to leave our place of security, to go to people out there, to put ourselves at risk. I know that's a crazy thing to say out loud, but that's what Christ has done, to travel to places where people are, to go onto their turf and not expect them to come into ours. That's what we've been called to do. We've called to become missionaries in our own communities, to understand our culture, to engage this world where it's at and share Christ with it. We've been sent into the world just as Christ was sent, not just for our good, but for God's glory. On any given day, it's easy to focus on that maintaining, isn't it? To just do the status quo. Maybe that's your day-to-day relationship with Christ. Maybe that's just keeping your family from falling apart. We like to maintain Because maintaining is easier and it's safer. But when we do that, we forget about the mission, about being sent as Christ was sent. We forget the mission as a church. And you know what happens next? And we don't even know why we're a church in the first place. You ever just question yourself, why do I do this? There's Sunday mornings that I wake up and think that. Just being honest. Maybe you do the same thing. Why do I do this? See, when we limit the mission to just a part of the church instead of the church, we miss it. See, I don't believe a church can exist without mission. It's not an add-on or a part of what we do. The missions of a church isn't just a part of the budget. There isn't a missions budget. The entire budget at the church is the missions budget because a church is on mission. And the essence of the church is to live in relationship with God, being sent into the world just as Christ was sent into the world. See, Jesus calls us something different than just existing and trying to find peace in what we do. Instead, he sent us into the world just as he came into the world with the peace he's already given us. I said a whole lot just now. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think it's too much? Do you think it's too big of a burden to, to hold on to? I'm going to tell you, 100% mission impossible. 100% yes, it is too big of a burden for us to hold on to. I mean, you talk about the fear of failing? Jesus, God in the flesh, is calling us to do what he did. You think I'm going to fail at that? Heck yeah. Absolutely. We're all going to fail at that. That's why what he says next is so important. He says, as he breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive my power. Jesus was about to pour out the Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. And it happens about six to seven weeks after his resurrection. We read about it in the first chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, another commissioning, another sending out. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, when the Holy Spirit, yeah, I'm giving you Mission Impossible, but I'm giving you something better than Ethan Hunt to pull it off. Okay, that, and if you watch Mission Impossible, you actually got that. Everybody else has no idea what I'm talking about. But here is the thing. He said, I've given you this power. You're not able to do it on your own, but you are able to do it with me. So here in John 20, 22, Jesus performs kind of an acted out parable when he says, I'm going to breathe on you, and I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. 
And I, this is kind of one of those debatable questions that's out there. People talk about, it. well, did Jesus give him the Holy Spirit? There, did he give it to him in Acts chapter 2? I believe he was prepping for Acts chapter 2. So he didn't say receive him at this moment. He says, I want you to realize that my breath and my life and my word are coming with the Holy Spirit. They're going to come on you and in you and you will change. I am not going to leave you as orphans, as he says in John chapter 14. I will come to you. The risen son has come to us. And he's with us. Jesus comes and he gives us his peace with God. Then he gives us the power to do the kind of things that mere humans can't do. You know what those things are? Here's one I wrote down. Defeating your own selfishness. We can't do that on our own. We can't Christ. To love other people. You know what I'm going with right now? The list is long, but the Holy Spirit's bigger. And that's, that's where we have to be at. And treasuring Christ above all, to love the Lord our God, our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, that is not possible on our own. And that peace and that power is really central to the purpose for our existence. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you to extend my peace and my light and my truth and my life into this dark and failing world. I'm going to my Father, but I'm going to send you a helper. See, that's our great purpose. Our great purpose in the peace of God, by the power of God, is to do the will of God for the glory of God and for others. That is our purpose. That is why we exist. And if you're puzzled by verse 23, and there's a lot of different religions that will take verse 23 a little bit different about giving you power to be able to forgive or not forgive, that's not what Jesus is saying here. This is what he says in verse 23, in case you forgot what it said. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But what he means here is when you tell people about what I've done, when you speak my word about my work in the power of my spirit, he's saying, I'm the one that will be speaking through you. So if anybody believes your word, I'll forgive their sins. And if anybody does not believe your words, I don't forgive their sins. That's what he's talking about here which simply means this right now. It means that whatever you take from this message, from this fallible, sinful human being that has the right, and just because God gave me the privilege to share this message with you, that's what will decide whether you're forgiven or not. Whether or not you receive it and how you take it. As an ambassador of Christ, I urge you to be reconciled to God and receive the free gift of His peace, His power, and his purpose. See, you're already, if you're already an ambassador of Christ, though, I want you to realize that God has called you, that, that Christ has called you, and he's not surprised by your mistakes or your doubts. He's not coming to you and saying, see, I told you you shouldn't have done. No, he's giving you the keys. He's given us the job to be sent and to live just as Jesus lived and served. A guy by the name of Reggie McNeil, and he wrote a book, and it's called The Present Future, and he says this in that book. God must have a lot of confidence in you to put you on the planet at just this time. It was his sovereign decision to insert you onto the planet Earth during a time of such huge transition. It takes incredible faith to either lead or follow Christ during hinge points of history. Jesus doesn't slam you for your doubts, fears, or uncertainties either. He wants to encourage you in your current assignment. 
See, some of us in this room have been ordained as pastors. We're going to ordain a couple of guys as elders. But let me just tell you this. Some of you have a higher calling than that. You've been ordained as teachers. You've been ordained as nurses. You've been ordained as students. You've been ordained as, as sales representatives. You're in the military. Your parents, you have a responsibility and you've been sent where you live and where you work and where you study just as Christ was sent. You have a job to do, and you're not where you are by accident. God has strategically placed you there. He's given you all the resources you need. He has given you the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can consider yourselves sent. You're in a relationship with God, and you are sent into the world to reveal Christ to this world. We weren't sent to maintain. We were sent on mission. Can I challenge you today to get out from behind the locked door and get out on mission. Because remember your purpose. And the peace of God by the power of God is to do the will of God for the glory of God and for the good of others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your message. And thank you for even choosing me to share it, a fallible, sinful human being. But God, you found in me more than I could even find in myself. And you challenged me to take that step to share a message that could be received or could be rejected. The fear of failure is honestly there. But God, I have to understand they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting you if they choose that. And they're not accepting me. They're accepting you if they choose to accept it. And that goes for everything that we do. Whether we're in line at the grocery store or we are at school or we are in our workplace or whatever it might be. God, as we live and reveal you to others, as we speak about you to others. May you be lifted up. May you get the praise. May you get the glory. We pray it all in your name. Amen.